Luke chapter 22. And the verses that we want to consider this morning will be verses 31 and 32. Verses 31 and 32. This is the word of the Lord, saints. Please give it your full attention. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, saints. You can be seated. Saints, has there ever been a day that you have experienced in which you will never forget? A day that you have experienced that you will never forget. I've experienced a few of those days in my lifetime. Uh, My birth of my two sons being one, maybe the very apex of them all is going to be the day I married my wife. But certainly, last Saturday was a day I'll never forget. You already know where I was. I was at the happiest place on earth. I was at Disneyland. Me and my wife, we adore Disneyland. And sometimes we contemplate whether we can actually live in Disneyland. But the day was amazing for two reasons. Number one, we went to Disneyland without our two children. Which, if you have children, you already know. That's a amen. But also, too, secondly, at least for myself, I went on the most scariest, the most frightening, the most terrifying roller coaster I've ever been on. Now, as I was preparing myself to go on this roller coaster, I'm, I'm looking at the loop in the middle. I'm trying to gauge on how fast it's going, and I'm telling myself, well, this is not as fast as that ride. It can't be. And this is not as high as I think it is. But thanks of God, everything that I prayed and everything that I thought wasn't going to happen, happened. I got on that ride. I sat down in that seat. Don't tell anyone, but I may even did the sign of the cross. I was terrified of what's about to happen. And after I got done, the first thing I told Leela was, let's do it again. And let's do it again. Let's do it again. It was certainly a day that I'll never forget, saints of God. But church, as we come to the ending of Luke 22, we don't find Mickey Mouse or Goofy. As we come to the ending of Luke 22, We don't have recorded for us the happiest place on earth. Rather, Luke 22 records for us the night before the storm. It's a night that Christ's disciples will remember as the night when the whole world was turned upside down. A night where everything that Jesus predicted came true. A night where maybe some thought that they have wasted three years following the one who said he was the son of God 
but now he's a prisoner of Rome. The words of those men who Christ spoke to on the road to Emmaus surely were on the minds of those disciples that night. You remember those words of the two men walking with Christ on the road to Emmaus? After they have told Christ everything that has happened, they say this. But we were hoping that he was who was going to redeem Israel. As Christ is being arrested, you think that the disciples did not have that playing in their minds? That our Redeemer, who is supposed to liberate and free us, is now placed in handcuffs. The man who is supposed to lead his people into the promised land is now being led to a prison cell. The man who we saw do many miracles, he he healed the sick, caused the dead to live again. And yet he can't miracle his way out of this one. Oh, what was this night, you may ask? This is the night that Jesus would be arrested. He would later be tried, soon beaten, and eventually hung on a cross. There are many things that happened this night. Jesus shares with disciples one last meal we know as the Last Supper. Judas is revealed as the betrayer of the Lord. But, but it's this interaction that we see in verse 31 and 32 of our Savior and Peter that I want us to consider this morning. And right off the bat, saints, we see something in Christ's words that apply to us today. Picture this scene, if you would. After Christ gives these men the comforting words that he and his father will assign to them a kingdom. He then turns to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. Simon, Simon. Now, that's interesting, is it not, church? He doesn't call him by the name he gave to him after his great confession of faith. He doesn't say, Peter, Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. You remember Matthew 16. The great question of all questions, but who do you yourselves say that I am? And do you remember... Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Amen. Why does Jesus refer to Peter, not as Peter, but as Simon? Why? Why doesn't he call him Peter? Well, saints of God, like everything Christ does, it was for a reason. This was intentional. You see, in the Hebrew, Simon, Simeon, means the one who hears. The one who hears. So, stay with me here. When Christ calls Peter Simon, Simon, he's essentially saying, Peter, listen up. Peter, pay attention. Peter, lend me your ear to what I'm going to tell you. Pay attention. Church, we're not even five minutes into my sermon. And Christ is already teaching us something in this text. Just by calling Peter Simon, Simon. 
In school, we are taught to listen to our teachers. For what they are teaching us will help us get a better education. We are taught as young children to listen to our parents and grandparents because they will guide us in life. But I got a question for you, church. Who is the Christian ought to give their ear to? Who is the Christian to listen to? Jesus says in John 8:47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. You see, church, unlike our teachers and unlike our parents and grandparents, God's word is not up for debate. I know that sounds strange to many considering what our culture is saying nowadays, where God's word is just seen as an opinion amongst many opinions. But we are not people of the word or rather of the world, but we are people of the book. Saints of God, we are defined by being people of the book. And church, I'm here to tell you today, please hear me, that just as Christ called out to Peter in Luke 22, he's calling out to you today. Just as he told Peter, listen, listen, he's telling you today, listen up. Listen to what I have to tell you. The good people of Reformation Bible Church, hear my words, but church of God, I have to ask you a question. I have to ask you something. Christ says, listen. My question is this. Will you listen? Will you listen? Pastor Antonio said in his sermon last Sunday, fine sermon, by the way. He said in his sermon last Sunday that we're going to grow up as we walk to First Corinthians. We're going to mature a little bit. Some things are going to sting. They're going to hurt, but they're for our good. Saints of God, let's grow up today. Let's grow up a little bit today. My question to you, saints, is this. Do you listen to every word that God says? Do you listen to every word God says? In church, I'm not talking about the good things you like that God says. I'm talking about, do you listen to the Lord when he says in Matthew 5, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm talking about, do you give God your ear when he says in James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Do you hear him when he says in Matthew 5, But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. Do you listen to him, church? But I have a better question. Do you listen to him not merely in life, but do you listen to him in church? In other words, saints of God, did you wake up this morning as your primary objective to hear God's word? Did you wake up this morning to hear his word? Let me ask you, saints, let me ask you, how well do you listen to God's voice when he's speaking to you every Sunday during the preached word? Make an assessment of your of your hearing attention every Sunday during the preached word. Here's another question. And let's be honest with ourselves. How many times 
do we check out during the preached word? Uh, I got another question. How many bathroom breaks do you need when God is speaking to you? I got a better question. Does your listening to God in the preached word depend on the subject of the text? Here's a better question. Does the listening to God in the preached word depend on the style of the minister? Saints of God, here's the reality of the preached word. That when a man stands behind a pulpit, God does something strange according to the world standards. You see, in order to get something done, one looks for others who have qualification. We do that all the time, do we not? We look for people who have degrees, who have certain credentials when we want something done. But church, when it comes to the preaching of God's word, you could be seminary trained. You can know Greek and Hebrew. You can even have a Ph.D. in the world's finest Christian college. But when it comes to the preaching of God's word, the only credential you need is no credential that you earned. And that credential is simply this. Are you covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? And I'll say, or rather, I'll just speak to myself. I'll just speak for myself for a bit. When the word of God goes forth, as it's going forth right now, God, through the instrumentality of my boring, of my no college degree, of my no seminary trained, weak, fragile self, chooses to speak to you. And church, there are some powerful symbolic images in our day. We can think of a president standing before the house about to give his state of union address. Powerful image, is it not? We can even think of a male and female facing each other upon that altar on their wedding day. But saints, as powerful as those images are, in this day and age still, there is still nothing more powerfully symbolic than when a preacher stands behind the pulpit and opens the Bible. Saints, I'm not telling you nothing that you don't already know. And I'm not belaboring this point just because I've studied all week and I want you to hear the sermon. The reason I preach this way is because Jesus says in Luke 10, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. It's because I don't want you to reject the voice of your Savior this morning. I preach the way I do, saints of God, because of verses like Matthew 18, 20. For when there are two, three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I preach this way because you can be in the same building with Christ and ignore Christ. You can be in the same facility of Christ and let Christ pass you by. Oh, church, I plead with you this morning. I beg of you this morning. Hear Christ speaking to you today. I plead with you to hear the voice of your Savior, not the voice of my weak self, but the voice of Jesus Christ who cries out to his sheep. Listen to me for what he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, listen. He says to you every time you open his word, listen to me. Every time you walk in and you sit down, he says, listen to me. So for those today who have ears to hear, for those Today, who have said in your heart, Lord, I'm here. I may not listen every Sunday and I may not listen every time you tell me something in your word. But today I listen. 
Today I'm here. What do you have to tell me? Jesus says to Peter, Satan demand to have you. Is that what you're going to tell me? Is that what you want me to hear? Jesus, Satan has demanded to have me. And church, the text doesn't say, but I wonder if Jesus privately pulled Peter aside. I wonder if Jesus whispered what he was about to tell Peter. The reason why I'm curious on the manner in which he told Peter is because what he told Peter is not for the faint heart. He didn't tell Peter, pretty soon you're going to be in some trouble. He didn't tell Peter, pretty soon you're going to get sick. He didn't tell Peter, pretty soon. He said, Satan has demanded to have you. Peter at this moment reminds me of one of my favorite characters in all of cinema. You will laugh. Jack from the movie Titanic. And do you remember that scene where Jack is at the edge of the boat and he screams out those famous words into the Atlantic Ocean? I'm the king of the world. Jack at that moment thought he was bigger than life. He thought he was the king of the world. Only in just a few days hearing the Titanic is going down. It's about to sink. That church is the place Peter finds himself in at this moment. Peter went from being named after a rock, one who stands firm and tall and doesn't waver, to now having his whole world rocked from what Christ just told him. Peter, the one who would tell Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, is now hearing Satan has demanded to have you. There are words in this life, saints of God, that we all dread of hearing, do we not? Parents dread of hearing that something has happened to their child. People on airplanes dread of hearing those words. The plane is going down. People on boats dread of hearing those words. The boat is sinking. During my study in this text, I thought of some of you. Many of you's uh, names and faces were popping into my mind. And some of the awful news that you've heard in your life, I can think of you. When the doctor told you that your heart is having some complications. I can think of you, sister. When the, when the, the job said that you have to do something against your conscience. I thought of you, Scott. And those times, or rather that time when the job that you love, the job that you sweated for said, we're going out of business. I even thought of our dear pastor. When the doctor told him, your Achilles is ruptured. But with all due respect, saints, with all due respect, if you thought the doctor telling you that your heart problem was going to be the end of your world, and just in case you thought that the doctor telling you that you rupturing your Achilles was bad news, and just when you thought that you being let go of your job was the end of all things, and just when we thought that that one doctor's visit was bad news. That one phone call was horrible news. Saints of God, just in case you thought you've heard some bad news in your life, imagine Jesus saying to you, Satan has demanded to have you. Saints of God, you ain't got to imagine it. He says it to you today. Satan has demanded 
to have you. You are on Satan's wall of most wanted Christians. And the more faithful you are, the highest you are on that wall. Thanks of God, Satan has the man to have you. Satan wants you. He wants your kids. He wants everything. Satan wants you, saints of God. Can you picture Peter at this moment? He might have thought in his mind, now wait a minute, Christ. Let me get this right. This ain't Satan that lives down the block. This ain't Satan that flips burgers at Burger King. Are you talking about Satan? That one that's that lying, deceiving snake, that Satan. Are you talking about the Satan that deceived Adam and Eve? That Satan? Or, or what about the Satan that's that evil manipulator? I, I just want to know, are we talking about the same Satan? Has this one went to God really? And has he really said out of his own mouth, I want Peter? Has he said that? Surely he has. This warning from Christ is something that we all, saints of God, need to be reminded of daily. That in this life, you have a great enemy. You have a great enemy. You've got a great enemy that you cannot see, but you feel his effects. You've got an enemy, saints of God, that is prowling around the circle of your soul, waiting to devour you. You've got an enemy, saints of God, and I've come here to warn you. That there is a threat in this world that is bigger than high blood pressure and diabetes. That you have a bigger enemy out there and it's not father time and getting old. That there's a bigger danger that threatens to ruin your life and it's not going into debt. Oh church, there is a pain that one can feel and it hurts more than getting arthritis. That one's name is Satan. Satan, saints of God. Satan is our enemy and Satan's main objective is not to physically harm you. He don't care about your money. Satan's main objective is to destroy your faith in God. That's what he wants. He ain't trying to give you a bruise. And he ain't trying to get you into debt. He wants your faith. He wants your faith, saints of God. But here's the great news. He'll never have our faith. True believers, faith will never go away. But what he can do at the very minimum, at the least, is he can diminish our faith. He can diminish our faith. Now, faith, you might ask, why does he want our faith? Because once faith is diminished, all the other Christian Christian virtues go with it. Let me make it plain. Once your faith is diminished, the virtue of hope goes with it. And when hope is weakened, saints, then your assurance of salvation is weakened as well. And when your assurance of salvation is weakened, so is your trust in God's promises. And when your trust in God's promises goes, you begin to walk by sight. You begin to be anxious about the cares of this world. And you begin to allow this world to overwhelm you. And once the light of faith and hope are shaken, the queen of the virtues goes with it. And what do you do, saints of God, when love is gone? What do you do when you have no more love for God? This, saints, is the goal for you. This is the goal 
is to shaken up your faith to the point where you no longer have faith. This is the language that Christ uses. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. That simply means, church, Satan's attack on you may get very uncomfortable at times. Satan's attack on you may get violent at times. Satan may take away everything and everyone that you love. You don't believe me, church? Ask Job. You don't believe that Satan cannot shake up your faith? Ask Peter, who denied that he knew Christ three times. Saints of God, you know what I speak of well. So many Christians have backslidden because their faith was shaken. So many Christians stopped going to church, even this church in particular, because their faith was diminished. But church, let me give you some consoling news. Let me give you some consoling news. The devil is God's devil. You ain't listening to me. The devil is God's devil. That is to say, church, Satan can't harm you without God saying, Satan, you can harm him. Satan can't touch you without God giving the okay. Satan ain't out here without a leash. But God is sovereign even over Satan. But church, while I was studying, I asked this question. Why? Why does God allow Satan to do this to us? Why does God allow Satan to want Peter? I got to be honest with you, church. I don't have all the answers on why the Lord allows Satan to tempt us. I don't know. But maybe here in Luke 22, we have a clue. Here, Peter reminds us of something that hits at our pride. And that is, we are not as strong as we think we are. All it takes is one trip to the doctor's office. All it takes is one phone call. It takes so little for life to confront us with the fact that we are not Superman. That we cannot run as fast as we think, and we cannot jump as high as we think, and we cannot lift as high, or rather, as strong as we think. One theologian said it well, that the one who has God and other things really has nothing more than the one who has God alone. We all have other things, do we not, church? Some of you have money. Some of you have college degrees. Some of you are smart, and some of you are very creative. But church, as the old folks would say, keep on living. Young people... You can get all the degrees you want. Keep on living. You can have all the money and success in the world. But keep on living. Saints of God, keep on living. And you will inevitably face times when money can't buy you out of it. You will face some times when your education can't think your way through it. You will face some times, saints, when your creativity and how smart you are can't pull you out of it. And here, church, Peter needed to be reminded that he's not as strong as he thinks he is. Just because you're named after a rock doesn't mean that you can stop depending on the rock, Jesus Christ. That just because you're the most vocal and you're the most loud and maybe the leader of the disciples doesn't mean that you cannot be led yourself. That you can let go of the hand of God. Peter thought he was strong. 
Case in point, after Jesus tells them all of this, you know what he says? He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter, he reminds us of another prideful man, King Uzziah. That man who took the throne of Judah, age 16, but his initial success turned into great failure. Second Chronicles 26 says he was marvelously helped by God. Until he was strong. Marvelously helped by God until he was strong. And when he became strong is when he stopped depending on God. God then struck him with leprosy. And that powerful king who ruled for over 52 years died a lonely man. The message of King Uzziah is simple, church. The moment you begin to trust in yourself. God is going to put you in your place. The moment you begin to trust in yourself and you think you're strong is, in fact, the time when you are the most weakest. Peter, he reminded to be or rather he needed to be put in his place. Sometimes we need to be put in our place. And church, the point of all this is simple. It's ironic, but it's true. God uses Satan. To make us more like Christ. How ironic is that? God uses the most evilest of the evil to make us like the most holiest of the holy. Jesus Christ. But saints of God, this sermon is not primarily about Satan tempting us and wanting us to fail. I didn't come to tell you that. I didn't come to tell you that God is going to put us in our place. And that you need to listen more in church. I didn't come to tell you that. No, this sermon, saints of God, is not primarily. And I didn't come to preach to you Luke 22, verse 31. I've come this morning to tell you the good news. No, I've come to tell you the great news. No, we can say it better. I've come to tell you the best news. For the Christian. And it's found here in verse 32. Jesus says to Peter. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. Did you just hear what Jesus told Peter? After he brought Peter to the bottom. He brings him up to the top floor. And he says, I know what I just said. But you better hear me now. What I'm about to say. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. There are some sweet songs that have been made in this life. Just think of any Stephen Wonder song. Sweet, sweet songs. But church... Oh, I'm trying not to weep. What beats this? What beats Jesus telling the Christian, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. During the Reformation, a saying was developed that encapsulated that time in church history. You may have heard it before. After darkness 
light. Go to Pastor Antonio for the light. After darkness, light. But here, Jesus seems to imply a greater truth. Not after darkness, light. But while you're in some darkness, there's a light in heaven praying for you. Church, how does God counter Satan's demand of sifting and tempting? What is God's answer to Satan's violent attacks upon our soul? His answer is simple. Prayer. Prayer. That's the answer to Satan's demands. Prayer. And not prayer by holy angels. And not prayer by holy men. But rather the antidote to Satan's attacks is Jesus the Christ. Church, I came to tell you this morning that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. But what exactly is Christ praying for, you might ask? What is he praying for? It says it here in our text. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's interesting, is it not, church? For Christ doesn't tell Peter, I'm praying that Satan will leave you alone. You would think that, right? I mean, you would think that that would give you the most comfort. After hearing that Satan has demanded of you, you would think, okay, now, are you praying that Satan will leave me alone? No, Christ doesn't say, I'm praying that Satan will leave you alone. He's not even praying that Peter's trials will leave him. He doesn't even pray that Peter's sufferings will go away. Rather, he's praying that while you're in some suffering, while you're going through the trials, something within you will be strengthened. That while you're in your tribulations, you can say like St. Paul, we celebrate in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations bring perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. I'm a big fan of combat sports. Big fan. And there are some fighters who come along that are undefeated. 20 and 0 with 20 knockouts, all within the first round. For their whole career, things have been easy for them. But what makes them better fighters, in fact, what makes them great fighters, is when they meet an opponent who they have to go all 12 rounds with. Church, is that not the Christian experience? That God uses our sufferings and our trials to strengthen us as Christians. What's the common answer men like to ask men? Do you know how to fight? Can you fight? How well are your hands? And church, that's my question to you this morning. Do you know how to fight? How good are your spiritual hands? How good is your spiritual soul? Saints of God, because sometimes we don't need Satan to leave us when we're in the fight. But sometimes, church, we need Satan to stay so we can learn how to fight. We can learn how to dodge and weave. We can learn when Satan's right hand is coming and when that upper hook is coming. But, saints, there is a difference between fighters and the Christian. Fighters, although they have trainers, don't fight with the trainers. And fighters, although they have training partners, can't fight with their training partners. Fighters have cut men, but they can't fight with their cut men. But here Jesus says the Christian never goes into the ring alone. Saints of God, this verse is meant to teach us that while we are in the battle swinging, Jesus is up there praying. That while we're on earth, Dodging and weaving, Jesus is up there in heaven praying for us. 
that while you're sleeping, Jesus is not sleeping on you. He's praying for you. And when you wake up, Jesus is praying for you. And when you walk to your car, Jesus is praying for you. When you're driving on the highway, Christ is praying for you. While you're at work, dealing with the world and all their issues, there's someone up there praying for you. When you come home and when you lie back down, Jesus has not ceased to pray for you. When I was younger, I used to stay up all night. For the majority of my time, what kept me awake was infomercials. Can you say amen if you've been up all night watching the same infomercial? Two hours, three hours. And my favorite infomercial was of an old lady who's in her kitchen washing some grapes. And suddenly she slips and she falls. And while she's crying out for hours for help, her neighbors finally hear her. They come in and they help her up. In her own words, she says the fall could have been the end of her. But with the help of a little button, she's now connected to a life alert center who for 24 hours watches out for her safety. This center will not allow her to fall to her death. In some, she's never alone. In church, I didn't know it then. But while I was up at three in the morning, Jesus through that infomercial, through that woman who slipped and fall, was teaching me something about himself. And that is the Christian is connected to a spiritual life alert center. And while, saints of God, we don't need a little button to alert others for help. No, we got the God in heaven who's always on alert for our safety. But church, I didn't need to give you that illustration for you to know that truth. For I'm speaking to a group of people who already know what I'm talking about. You know what I speak of by experience, saints of God. You know it. Why is it? Out of all your friends, you're the one that got saved. Why is it? Uh, How is it that you should have been dead, but you're here today? How is it that out of all the mess that you've been through in your life, you still have faith in Christ? The saints of God, how is it that you've made it through some things that have threatened to destroy your faith? Yet you're here today in church. How is it? Why is it, saints of God? I'll tell you how and I'll tell you why. Because Jesus this whole time has been praying for you. Jesus has been praying for you. And you might think that once you got saved, Jesus then started praying for you. You might think that, saints of God. Only when I got saved is when I began to be on the lips of Christ's prayer. No, 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 no. Let's not undervalue and undermine the intercessory work of Christ in that way. Rather, before you ever prayed to Jesus, Jesus was praying for you. In other words, church, while you were out there in the world sinning, there was one up there in heaven praying for you. While you were a sinner, Jesus was praying that his future saints would make it home. You may have been living in darkness, but saints of God, there is a light in heaven on for you. Amen. Sometimes we attribute our salvation to the prayers of our mothers and fathers. We say, I thank the Lord that my mom prayed for me. I thank the Lord that my father prayed for me. I thank the Lord for the many saints that I've met in my lifetime that have prayed for me. And saints, while we for sure needed the prayers of the saints, 
It was ultimately the prayer of the Savior is the why I got saved. But I can hear some smart Christians say, Preacher, all of what you're saying sounds nice. It's uplifting my soul for sure. But Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Yet Peter failed and denied that he knew Jesus. What do you say about that? It seems that Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. But church, you need to hear this. Oh, you need to hear this, saints of God. We are Christians who often fail. But you need to know that your failing and your falling does not prove that your faith is not genuine. Please hear me. That your failing and your falling does not prove that your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not genuine, is not sincere. Rather, what proves that your faith is real is when you fall, what do you do after? When you fall, do you go to the Lord in repentance? And that church is the language that Jesus uses at the end of verse 32. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus knows that Peter will fall. He knows that Peter will fail. But Jesus is not judging Peter's failure based off Peter denying him three times. But rather, Jesus is judging Peter's failure based off whether Peter will return to the Lord in repentance. What does the word tell us in Matthew 26? Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before. Before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Later we'll read that Jesus, or rather Peter, confesses his love for the Lord. And that is how we know Jesus' prayer was answered to Peter in Peter's regards. You see, Jesus knows that we will fall. He knows that, saints of God. But his prayers are for what we do after the fall. Amen. That's what he's praying for. Amen. What are you doing after you fall? Yeah. In other words, church, Christ is not praying, or rather praying, not that you won't fall. But rather, he's praying that you'll get up. That you'll get up. And when you get up, you return to him. You return to him. Saints of God, so whenever you sin, whenever you sin, you might sin tonight. You might sin after this service. Whenever you sin. And when you go to the Lord in repentance, first and foremost, thank the Lord that he prayed for you. Because your repentance is a sign that he was praying for you. Every time you sin and you repent, thank the Lord that he prayed for you. And we often think that repentance is primarily us coming to our senses. <laughs> That's the reason why I'm repenting. No, 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 saints of God. The reason for your repentance is because Jesus is praying for you. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. I say it again, church. As I come to the close of my sermon, every time you repent, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that he did not leave you like Judas. Thank the Lord he didn't leave you like Judas, whom Christ did not pray for, whom Judas merely regretted what he did and then hung himself. But rather, thank the Lord that he kept your faith intact like Peter, who you, when you return to the Lord, you say, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. You know I love you. Church, can you sit here today and testify that the Lord has been praying for me? That the Lord has been praying for me? 
Thank the Lord he's been praying for us. And he won't stop praying for us. He's prayed for us for so long, saints of God. He prayed for us while we're on this earth so that we could meet him. And saints of God, he's praying for us so that we can see him in the life that's to come. Saints of God, be of good cheer this morning. Be of good cheer today. Be of good cheer for the entirety of your Christian life and experience here on earth. Because Christ is praying for you. You have a Savior who not only died to keep you from hell, but he's praying that you will meet him in heaven. You got a Savior. You got a Jesus who not only lived for you on earth, but he's praying that you will live for him and rather with him in heaven. Oh, saints of God, you have a reason to smile today. You have a reason to smile when everyone is frowning. You have a reason to laugh when ain't nothing funny. You got a reason to keep running when you should be walking. You should sit down. Because Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for me. I close this sermon with the words of Jude chapter 1. Now unto him. Who was able to protect you from stumbling. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray.